Welcome to Fixated, the Fixed Income Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Moran, Editorial Director of Fixed Income News Australia. Join me every week as I talk about the latest news, views and education in fixed income investment. I'll be joined by industry experts from Australia and across the globe. Welcome. Today I have Kylie Ann Richards, who is Deputy CIO and Chair of ESG at Fort Lake Asset Management. Good morning, Kylie. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Liz. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks very much for joining us. I do want to just spend a little bit of time talking about um, your different roles and what your your history is, because it's so it's so impressive, Kylie. So I'm going to start way back. You've got a PhD in mathematics from UNSW. I think that's a big congratulations before you even start. Like that would be a, a significantly difficult degree, I think. Um, uh, but then you've had a number of other positions, including working for Macquarie Bank in Hong Kong. And most recently, uh, you were co-founder of a proprietary trading company. At the moment, you are also a tenured academic um, at UTS. And that's where we're going to talk a bit about your research today. So, Kylie, you've developed courses in sustainable finance, which are offered in the Masters of Finance, the MBA and Executive MBA programs. You're research active in journals such as the International Journal of Financial Engineering. And your areas of research include green finance, ESG and high frequency finance. That's sure a mouthful. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about your role at UTS and how you came to collaborate with Fort Lake and also Ardea in the in the research paper. Yeah, thanks, Liz. Um, so the position I hold at UTS uh, is as a, a lecturer, and this is um, I think UTS has got a, it has a um, very much a, a strong connection with industry, and they were. Also, I guess at the forefront of recognizing um, this, you know, this strong need to um, provide education in the area of sustainable finance, and that connection with industry, I think, drove that. Uh, so, a couple of years ago, um, I spent some time, obviously pre-COVID, uh, over in the UK and the US, uh, meeting with a number of people, number of academics from other universities. Uh, they're certainly f- much further along the curve than the Australian universities in developing these types of courses, and in fact, they have. Uh, degrees in sustainable finance. And since then, um, we've spent a lot of time um, developing out a number of courses that are provided in our master's level uh, degrees. So Master of Finance, as you mentioned, the MBA, Executive MBA. And this is not just in the sustainable finance space. It's also um, taking taking a position or or educating rather in the uh, from the corporate's perspective. Now, my research is very much in the uh, the ESG space. Historically, it was uh, more focused on high frequency finance. Um, and there is a strong focus on the green finance uh, piece as well. So my collaborations uh, with some colleagues in the University of California, for example, we're working on a couple of books and a number of research papers uh, in that space. Um, so my my role at my full time role at Fort Lake. Um, so this is it's quite a, an interesting role. So there's very much you know you sort of what you would expect from um, you know a fund manager, deputy CIO type role, but also we have a very big focus on academic research. As well, um, this obviously contributes to um, our investment process. But there's a recognition that there's insufficient research uh, in this fixed income space, uh, particularly when we're talking about uh, ESG integration. And so, one of the things that we wanted to do at Fort Lake, and um, also you know through UTS and partnered with um, our Investment Management, 
is to uh, investigate uh, a number of questions around sovereign bonds and transition risk. So we've been working, we actually had a research student working on this topic, uh, I think about a year ago now. And uh, myself, uh, Laura Ryan from Ardea and a couple of other academics from UTS have continued this research to develop it out to a, um, a journal paper. And it's the aim of the research is, as I mentioned, to bring the academic rigor into the research, but also have it uh, very practitioner focused and with the view that we actually want to make some impact with that research on the broader investing community. Uh, so that's, and I think it's probably a little um, unconventional that, you know, two fund managers will join forces to work together. Um, but I think it's, you know, there's, uh, there's an understanding. I mean, if you bring in so many years of experience uh, across both firms, there's uh, a greater chance that we're going to produce something that can actually uh, have some positive impact in this space. It's super important. I mean, uh, climate change is a very big focus and, you know, even more so worrying after the latest IPCC report that was released a couple of weeks ago. Carly, I think it's really exciting. I love collaboration across different um, entities and companies, and it's really exciting that you have found a way to take the re research further and publish internationally. Um, a couple of questions just for our listeners. Can you just explain climate-like risk and 101 risk for in financial circles and the difference between transition and physical risk? Um, the best place to start with this is possibly to use APRA's definition um, of climate change risk. So it's typically, it's broken down into physical risk, transition risk and liquidity risk. The major focus that we've seen uh, within the academic literature has been on uh, physical risk. And as I mentioned before, there's very little literature uh, in the fixed income space. It's generally in the equ equity space. So when we talk about physical risk, what we're talking about are uh, changing weather patterns, so extreme weather conditions, uh, which will impact obviously on, on businesses and economy. Now, transition risk is a little different. So when we talk about transition risk, what we're talking about are the risks associated with economies transitioning to a lower carbon economy. So we'll be talking about things like policy changes, uh, things like technological innovation. And that's very much the focus of this research. And to date, we haven't found any research uh, that uh, looks at this and looks at the uh, impact of this transition risk on uh, government bond yields. Uh, then I mentioned liquidity risk, but that's um, that's more around stakeholder litigation and regulatory enforcement. So, Kylie, it's really obvious if you look around the world and all the severe climate changes, why climate change matters. But um, can you explain to our listeners how government bonds are involved in that market and, and why climate change might influence government bonds and pricing? Okay, so I think it's probably good to go back a step and talk about um, the role they play. So if we think about sovereign bonds um, issued by government, so they're there, to, it's the issuance is around raising capital to finance infrastructure, social programs and so on. And they are, in fact, one of the key methods of financing climate change mitigation. Uh, and I think and this is very much um, an Australian centric view uh, because many other governments, uh, you know, sort of globally will, will you know, sort of a little bit more further along the curve. So many governments, including Australia, so they're pushing back on suggestions to include climate change risk when they sell bonds to investors. And this is quite key to the research. So it's believed that green and social bonds would be the solution, um, whereas the inclusion of climate change risk, so in their view, the inclusion of climate change risk is not required in the federal government's debt pricing. 
So what we've done with this research is we're challenging this by demonstrating that climate change risk, and in this particular research we're referring specifically to transition risk, as I mentioned at the start, has, has in fact been globally priced into sovereign bonds. So what evidence did you find that um, transition risk, climate change risk, has been priced into bonds and which countries are doing well and which countries aren't doing so well? So in terms of the evidence from the research, uh, we probably need to consider the data first and how we, uh, I guess, broke up or or define transition risk. So in the study, what we did is assess the significance of carbon dioxide emissions, natural resource rents and renewable energy consumption. So these are the key factors, I think, that we uh, define climate change transition risk. And what we found was that the carbon dioxide emissions, they increase the country's cost of borrowing in debt markets. Uh, the natural resource rents and renewable consumption. So natural resource rents, again, increase the cost of uh, borrowing and renewable energy consumption decreases that. Now, it, the interesting piece with this is that it there was stronger evidence for advanced markets in terms of the impact on the government bond yields uh, rather than the developing countries. And I guess another point to make is that the advanced countries, so they have the political and financial resources to, you know, as we are all aware, to respond to the climate change uh, transition. And I guess that's why you know, this finding wasn't too much of a surprise, but it was interesting to see the, the evidence uh, through the modelling that we've done, uh, is that it's expected that the transition risk could be priced more effectively in the advanced countries. Now, the response from developing countries is slower, uh, yet they'd suffer the higher opportunity cost of transition risk uh, for example, they'll not be able to exploit their natural resources due to the climate policies that would lead to lower demand. It's really interesting that you, the world's already pricing in those risks into sovereign bonds. Is it a known, are they doing it knowingly or is it just unknowingly, do you think? Can you perhaps give us a few of the key findings of the research? So uh, a couple of the key findings, I guess the first one we can talk about is the higher carbon emissions and natural resources. So we found that these are associated with higher costs of sovereign borrowing. Uh, As both carbon emissions and natural resource rents are harmful to the environment, um, the countries with the higher CO2 and natural resource rents would have to pay a premium in their sovereign borrowing costs. And countries with higher renewable consumption, and that's we measure that relative to total consumption, so they're associated with lower costs of uh, sovereign borrowing, uh, given that renewable energy's deployment positively affects the environment and they would be rewarded uh, with a discount on sovereign borrowing costs. Now, I guess to sum that up, so climate change transition, so it impacts more the sovereign bond markets uh, in advanced countries and developing countries, as we discussed earlier. So that's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought already that the market would be perceptive enough to price, um, to discount sovereign bond yields, if you like, or have provide those countries with cheaper cost of borrowing than the more the higher emitters but obviously there's some um, psyche there already whether it's actually intentional or not what does climate change mean for policy policymakers and for um, investors so a couple of key areas uh, when we're talking about uh, policymakers and bond market investors what this means is that it's clear that prioritising uh, renewable energy supply and consumption and foregoing, and this is, you know, this is something that we can certainly relate to in Australia, foregoing the short-term opportunity cost of reduced revenues from these natural resources. So that would potentially lower the cost of borrowing for the sovereign bond markets. 
Um, cheaper financing, so this would counteract potential short-term losses arising from asset revaluation. And the savings made from financing could be invested in renewable energy technologies, and this would help for a smoother transition away from the fossil fuel industry. There's also things like companies' reputation on managing climate change risks, so this may affect uh, credibility and liquidity of its debt. Uh, and I think following on from the um, reputational risks, if we think about uh, what's happened recently in Australia, so we've seen that already some investors are voting with their feet. So last November, we saw Sweden's central bank announce that it sold Western Australia and Queensland bonds, uh, stating Australia is not known for its good climate work. So bringing this uh, to the discussion around policy, a first step for the government would be to provide better transparency about the state of the government debt. So with Treasury, for example, publishing better analysis and fuller accounts. And this would lead to more sustainable state finances and to tackle problems in both you know, the rural and urban areas. Now, climate-related risks, so they should be properly disclosed in information documents to sovereign bond investors. And this is a very key point that has come out of this recess. The fact that it's already been priced in it's, it goes without saying that investors should be demanding this disclosure. Um, it could be argued, you know, sort of further to that, it could be argued that by failing to disclose this information, the federal government is in breach of some legal duty, not that law is my area of specialty. I think another point to note on this is that if we think about um, banks, insurers, superannuation funds, now they're already being asked to evaluate the impact of climate change alongside traditional threats such as credit risk, underwriting risk and liquidity risk. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier about APRA's definition of uh, climate change being uh, you know, into their three distinct uh, financial risks and the physical transition and liquidity risk. So this is already in play. It's just amazing to me that Sweden are already recognising Australian states transitioning climate change policy into there and renewable energy and that they've sold Western Australia and, and Queensland bonds. Um, I think that's just amazing. Even though I know fixed income, the fixed income market is truly a global market, you know, you, you think of us as still far away from the rest of the world, but everyone is looking and they, we are being recognised as a laggard in the field and it is it sounds like it's definitely going to hurt in terms of pricing uh, government bonds and, and debt. Um, is there anything else you want to add about how perhaps um, portfolio managers like yourself and at Fort Lake, how you might use the research to think about how you invest? Does that mean you're looking for um, to invest in, in sovereign bonds or government, government bonds from other countries that have better um, transitionary policies and have more transparency? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's very much to what you say in terms of transparency and uh, better understanding uh, of what the governments are doing and, and what they're disclosing in those countries. Uh, so at Fort Lake, the way we approach uh, these aspects of our investment, so we consider pricing ESG. Uh, so for the likes of sovereign bonds, we would very much be considering um, how this transition risk may translate into the pricing of ESG uh, into sovereign bond spreads. Kylie, I just want to thank you very much for um, being on the show today and your comments. It's a really fascinating area and one where it's really nice to see industry and consumers voting and pushing back against the government, demanding um, change and, and transparency. And um, congratulations on your paper and your fabulous work with your colleagues and and we look forward to maybe um, having you on the show again another time. Thanks very much, Liz.
Thank you for joining us this week on Fixated, the Fixed Income podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to join us again next week. Still hungry for more fixed income news, views and education? Then visit fixedincomenews.com.au and don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter to have the latest news delivered right to your inbox. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Elizabeth Moran and we'll see you next week on Fixated, the Fixed Income podcast.